Hello, my name is Persia Berlin, and this is Eleven Again. I've been recently asking friends what they were obsessed with as kids. What was the thing that they would not stop reading or watching or playing or listening to over and over again? Once they tell me, we talk about it, and then they go back and re-experience it, and I do too, maybe for the first time. Today, I am talking to my friend Mariah. Mariah and I have known each other for a super long time, since the second grade, and what she wanted to talk about is the third movie from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Return of the King. So, I asked you the other day if you were obsessed with something when you were a kid and if you would talk to me about it. And you told me the Lord of the Rings. I believe I said it has to be Lord of the Rings. It has to be Lord of the Rings. And I was like, it oh, has to be. my fucking God, I don't want to read the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> no, no, not the not the books, though. The movies. Did you actually read the books ever? No. Oh my no. God. My dad read them to me. That's kind of weird. It's like a feat unknown to humankind to sort Wait, of... how long did that take you? I don't remember. I have no recollection of it. I've read The Hobbit. I have don't remember him reading me The Lord of the Rings. I, I, I've heard that he did. <laughs> Maybe he like read it and I was mostly asleep during it. I don't remember. Okay, but you meant um, the movies and then I said you had to pick one. Yes, and I picked Return of the King. Which is the last one of the trilogy. Yes, and I would argue the best, the oh. best movie of okay. the three. Okay, <laughs> we're taking a strong stance at the start. I am, because I think I think about, I guess, what that series meant to me growing up, and Return of the King was just kind of like the culmination of so many different storylines and so many different elements of that universe and world, it just all comes together, I think, in this epic kind of way. When do you think is the last time you saw the movie? Maybe two years ago. Oh, that's not that long ago. Yeah, it was was fairly recent. I could not tell you the last time I watched it. I remember watching it a lot and I, like, not since I left my house because that DVD is in my house and I haven't seen it since I moved out of my parents' house. Wait, DVD? Yeah, I used to watch it on DVD. <laughs> I I have I have the trilogy and the Hobbit trilogy, which is a whole other story that we don't need to get into right now. Um, but I have all of the movies. Like, I bought them like through iTunes. Oh, like digitally? Much. Yeah, yeah. Woof. Okay, that's good. To know. <laughs> okay, so we're we're, we're going to talk a little bit about Return of the King right now, but then I want us both to actually rewatch the movie. So it's super fresh in our minds. Um, Mm -hmm. And you're currently in Houston. So we're going to talk. You're going to move to New York. (laughs) We're going to watch the movie and then we'll check in again. Yeah. Actually, I'm I'm not in Houston. I'm in I'm in Wisconsin. Oh, but, but you're yes. in Wisconsin. I forgot. <laughs> I no, it's cool. I'm constantly changing location, so Which I don't blame you. Shocking in this environment. It is. It's not safe, and I wouldn't recommend it. But I am about to like settle down in a place soon. Just that just happens to be the epicenter of the pandemic. But, but yeah. Okay. So w- the only context I have for this is that. So we were friends in elementary school. That's how we met. We went, we, did you start in second grade? I started in first grade. You started in first grade. We went to this like weird 
French immersion school in the suburbs of Philly because our mom, I'm sure it was your mom. There's no way it was your dad who wanted you to do that. (laughs) Yes. Um, My mom, my mom wanted my brother and I to be bilingual. Um, And she was like, why not French? A language that is not very useful in the United States. (laughs) And, uh, and so we started going to um, like a, an immersion school, um, like it must have been kindergarten. And and then we moved to Philadelphia and I started at the French International School where I met you. Yeah. The first the first Lord of the Rings movie, um, Fellowship of the Ring, came out in December 2001. So I guess that would have been, actually that would have been second grade. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you think we saw it together in theaters, which I have no memory of. Why do you think we saw it together in theaters? Because I have the most vivid memory of us really? watching it together. Yes. Well, um, who were we with? Where, where did we go? Well, we were with our parents because we were seven at the time. And <laughs> The Fellowship of the Ring is a PG-13 movie. So there is no way that we could have just waltzed into that theater on our own. <laughs> um, but I do remember your dad being there. And I think my dad was there, too. I can't remember if our moms were there. But yeah, I remember the whole thing. And I and I especially remember a couple of scenes that really scared me <laughs> because it's a pretty terrifying film for a seven-year-old to be watching. So that was, I was, when I was looking this up, I was shocked. I was like, that was 2001. Let me check. That was 2001. And then the next year, Two Towers came out, 2002. And then the next year, December 2003, The Return of the King came out because they were all filmed in one go. So they just put the trilogy out like once every year for three years, which is like mind blowing. Like it was like, they never do that. I feel like they haven't done it since and they didn't do it before. Or it's super rare to do it that way. And I didn't, I, I didn't, of course, know that when I was watching the film the first time or even until several years after but yeah do you think you saw every single one of them in the theaters yeah I did because after I saw the first one I was obsessed I was really into it and so I went to see the second one with my dad and the third one yeah I mean I'm assuming the third one I was also accompanied by an adult (laughs) but I don't remember seeing the third one in theaters actually but the third one ended up becoming my favorite yeah why do you think like the third one is the one the the only one for you the one I'm not gonna do it no the just, one just ring the no don't to rule no, them all. please just tell me why because can you think of a more satisfying like end to a series that film rounds out all of the different plot lines all of the different character developments and ties it up in a bow, not in like a cutesy way, because I think the end is really bittersweet, but it's a real film about like good versus evil and good really wins in the end. And I think that there's something simple about that that I just got so much satisfaction from. So you think you watched the end because it was like it, it culminated it over and over for you? You were like, yeah, oh, yes, ah, yes, ah, they win again, yes. It was justice. It was, it was, it was cinematic justice, in a way. Okay, counterpoint. I also, <laughs> I also used to watch like the trilogy in general, but I remember watching Return of the King like a couple of times over again. 
I used to watch it and fast forward through the parts with like Frodo and Sam and Gollum because that part upset me so much. Like I didn't, I, I didn't want to watch it essentially. The parts when like Gollum is like pitting them against each other and he like takes, that's Return of the King, right? Where he like takes the like fancy elven bread and like puts it over Sam's coat. So it seems like he ate all the bread. I was like, couldn't handle it. I was like, they're, they're lovers, they're best friends. Don't, don't do this to them. Like, I can't believe he would come in between these boys. It was very upsetting to me. So like, I also liked that movie a lot and rewatched it, but I could not, I could not bear to sort of watch that relationship like break and that like drama unfold over and over again. But like, that didn't bother you. You were like, yes, it's part of the, the train upwards. That was another, that was like, I think that was kind of like the last hurdle or challenge that Frodo and Sam had to overcome together. And let's be real. I mean, Sam is the real, the real hero of the story. (laughs) I'm not team Frodo. I really think that without Sam, you know, evil would be spreading across the land, (laughs) you know, and the, the ring never would have been destroyed. Yeah. But well, he, like, but, carries him at the end. He's like, I can't, oh, my God, he says, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. Doesn't he say that? It's he really, literally says that. It's really coming back to me. Oh, I'm so excited to watch it. <laughs> yeah, and I I was so moved by that. I don't know why. I think maybe, like, whatever kind of seemingly huge struggle I was going through in my life, in my childhood, like the sort of struggle of growing up and being a preteen that just somehow was so inspiring to me to see someone literally overcoming evil and saving the world. Like nothing pumped me up more than that. (laughs) Did you ever like write? Because you were always a writer. Like I remember think it was you you wrote you won like a writing award or something like it, you did you wrote like an essay and it was like best essay of the month or something I remember them like hanging see this is my crystal clear memory of being jealous can I take a s- sort of really quick pause because my dog is is about to bark I can tell can I just <laughs> you, can I just let yes, it out okay you know? <laughs> I'm really in tune with her <laughs> she should go you're ruining my interview Okay. What was I saying? Anyway, so I remember you as being a good writer, and even though we were like eight, and did you ever write like anything about Lord of the Rings, or like did you ever write any like Lord of the Rings derivative kind of stuff? Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, yeah, I did. I did really enjoy writing, and um, it, it was a hobby, and and I went to writing camp and and wrote short stories. Oh my god, you went to stuff. writing camp? <laughs> when I did. did. You go to writing oh my camp? god. <laughs> Throughout my teenage years, <laughs> like over I went and over, to, more than once. Yeah, I went like every summer for like five years. <laughs> but I, I honestly think that it was probably partially because Lord of the Rings, because of Lord of the Rings. I, I was like so inspired by this epic story, and it just like really got my creative juices flowing. And I, I would imagine I would create. I would create these kind of fantasy worlds in my head where there were elves and there were, you know, witches and well, of course this is like the to- Tolkien um version of an elf. Oh, are I feel are like we doing to- are we doing Tolkien? That's how you say his name. I was wondering actually if we should say Tolkien or Tolkien. Well, his name is Tolkien, so I think I'm going to say Tolkien. <laughs> okay, okay. But I'll take your lead. 
<laughs> I think, um, yeah, the elves were definitely my favorite kind of like race in Lord of the Rings. I just found them so elegant and powerful and I just wanted to be them. I think in some ways in my in my mind they were kind of actually the opposite of what I was as a, as a child. Like I was very I was very tall and lanky, which I suppose the elves were like, but I was yeah. very clumsy and nowhere near as wise and <laughs> kind of goofy but I wanted to be like them yeah I do I, I feel like you were also kind of like wanted to be like nature-y or like more like here's my staff and like the trees are my friends yeah you're right I totally did well because you know I did I did grow up in a forest so yeah I would I, I grew up in Philly but I grew up in the forest part of Philly not not downtown where you cool kids were and so mm, I would you. spend <laughs> I would spend like hours in my backyard which was quite literally a forest like Yeah, it was foraging. magical to me when I visited cuz I didn't have anything like that. It yeah, and you know, there were like creeks that I would literally drink from and I would collect stones and I would create little houses out of moss and sticks and <laughs> I loved wow. it. Amazing. Iconic. Who is she? <laughs> and now I'm going to be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> okay um then I just want to ask like what do you think I mean I guess you saw it two years ago but what do you think that like what are you excited to watch the movie again for like what are you excited to see again in the movie or what do you think you're going to get out of it this time that you didn't before hmm well so I'll, I'll, I'll note that when I saw it two years ago I was going through a lot of like personal stuff. I was going through a hard time and I deliberately chose to watch Lord of the Rings because to me, it's just like such an epic story about overcoming adversity, I guess. And so I thought that maybe if I watch it, it'll kind of help me get through this. And I feel like similarly right now, we're all going through a bunch of shit but I'm also about to kind of embark upon this new chapter of my life where I'm moving to New York. I'm starting the grad school. And so I feel like maybe it'll maybe it'll re resonate with me in that way again. But I don't know. I think that every time I watch it, I notice new little details. Um, I wonder if it'll feel old to me, like like literally like if the film will feel kind of aged. Because at this point, it's, you know, 20 years old. But yeah. it's never felt that way to me. So I don't know. Um, it's just always kind of felt really timeless. And I think from a from a cinematic technology standpoint, it was kind of like really cutting edge when it was released. Um, yeah. Which is why it's kind of held up pretty well with the times. So, I'm yeah, I'm curious to see if it'll feel dated, though. I'm just excited to see that big fucking spider. What, oh, oh, my other question was, um, if you had to make a rough, wild guess, and I know this is probably hard, but how many times do you think you've seen The Return of the King? Oh, my God. It can be, like, so vastly ballpark. That was my dog. Um, I think I've maybe seen it 15 times. Okay. That's a Which, pretty good number for a long movie. Especially yeah. when you usually watch it in a trilogy. 
I think it was about 15 times, but that that's probably the upper end of the range, if I All were right. to guess. All right, well, good luck. Good moving. <laughs> good watching. Uh, happy watching to you, too. See you on the other side. Yeah, I'll call you when you're done. Okay. Alright, so you wound up watching just Return of the King, and I actually wound up watching all three movies. Yeah, you did a lot more work than I did. I mean, context for what's, like, going on, I moved in between the time we spoke last and the pandemic has gotten worse, and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and a lot of stuff, so... I, I could really only manage watching Return of the King, but it was it was definitely worth it in the end, of course. It's been a seriously tumultuous time. Yes. <laughs> and I appreciate you for, for hanging on and getting through a three hour, three hour and change experience. I mean it ended up I mean it ended up being therapeutic and I guess I kind of always knew that it was going to be. So I'm glad yeah. it happened. What are your, so what are your thoughts? Big picture. How did you feel? Wow. Okay. So big picture, big picture is I always, I think I will always have an emotional response to the movie. Like it just always hits me on a deep level and I'm not entirely sure why, but I think maybe each time I watch it, I'll get closer to that reason. But um, big picture is, like, I still think it's, like, just a beautiful, beautiful work of art. And there are things that I could criticize, sure, and I'm sure we'll get into those eventually. But overall, I love this movie and I am so invested in, like, this story, I guess. And it's becoming clearer and clearer to me, like, how much of an impact it's had on my life. What sort of impacts are they? Well, I was thinking about how the hobbits in the movie are really the the real heroes. I mean, there are a lot of kind of heroes, but the hobbits in particular are portrayed as, you know, being, well, physically, obviously, being very small beings and humble and um, no one really has any expectations of them. And yet they are the ones specifically, I would argue Sam, but they are the ones who, you know, save everyone. And I think that as a kid, I probably, that probably resonated with me. I think that kids in general might connect with hobbits more than any other kind of creature that's portrayed in the film. Because like when I was watching it, I literally was like physically small. I mean, though taller than most, (laughs) I was physically small. And, and I think when you're like growing up, I was like eight or nine or seven, maybe you, you do kind of have this sense of like helplessness. Like you don't 
have a lot of control over what's happening in your life. Your parents dictate all of that. And so there was something kind of like liberating about seeing these little creatures achieve such great things. And it kind of like made me feel that way. Like I could, I could, if I, you know, was courageous enough, save the world in my own little way. So I think that's one thing that maybe I'm looking back on now, realizing like that might be a reason why this movie, like I was so obsessed with it. Yeah. I also think, I mean, specifically Mary and Pippin both sort of have great, not redemption arcs, but like like rising to the occasion, especially in Return of the King. Mm-hmm. Like Pippin, of course, one of my my favorite, most favorite sequences from Return of the King is when they light the beacons mm, for Gondor yes. to call for Rohan's help, which is like so dumb because it's very much like, ugh, like guys being masculine jerks, you know, not wanting to ask each other for help kind of thing. Like the King of Rohan is like, Gondor didn't come to our aid. And the steward of Gondor is like, I don't want to deal with the Rohirrim, like whatever. And then Gandalf is like, these fucking idiots, you know, and just like him going to Pippin and being like, this is a great task for like the Hobbit people. This is your time to shine. And sends Pippin up to go light the beacon. And then, of course, the like all the beacons, it's very dramatic. All the beacons light across the mountaintops and and Aragorn bursting in. The beacons are finished, The beacons are lit! Good knuckles for eight! And Rohan will answer. Master the Rohirrim! It's just like one of the most amazing, one of the most amazing sequences. And Mary has this whole thing where he's friends with Eowyn, who is like the niece of the King of Rohan. And they're like killing the Nazgul together. And yeah, Sam is like, car- as, like, Liter- like you said, carrying. literally carrying the ring, carrying Frodo <laughs> on his back. He's carrying the whole quest. Yeah, yeah. But Frodo is kind of like a pariah, like, yeah, who starts off as like, the main hobbit or whatever, the hobbit with the most responsibility. I feel like he really goes through the toughest time and, like, not the cleanest of endings. Yeah, well, he 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 is destroyed by this ring, you know? You, you watch this character who's, like, maybe always a little bit reserved, but, like, full of life and jolly, like any hobbit would be, just get torn apart by this ring that like possesses his soul and spirit and yeah he's like completely useless like basically for most of the series because like this ring has possessed him but I think you make a good point about like all of these underdog characters whether it's Eowyn or Pippin or Merry like they all really come through in the end and are heroes and I, I've already told you this, but I think that Eowyn is a feminist icon. <laughs> Just the I mean, best. you have like you have three female characters to choose from. I do. I hopefully do. one of them is an, a feminist icon. And well, and and all of the women who who are given main roles, because let's be let's be frank, there aren't a lot of female protagonists in this story, but the ones who exist. I would say all are are portrayed as being pretty strong. What's her name? The elf princess. 
She's best known for, oh, um, Arwen. Yeah. Arwen, yeah. They, Arwen, they sound exact. So sad for Aragorn to have to choose between Arwen and Arwen. <laughs> Aragorn, Arwen, I can't even say them at all. Arwen, <laughs> Aragorn, and Arwen. Yeah, that's the love triangle. The threesome that could. Yeah. <laughs> but she has, she has her moment, too, because she... She basically saves Frodo when he was stabbed by the Nazgul in the, in, in, uh, the Fellowship. Right. in the first movie. Yeah, in the Fellowship of the Ring. So all the female characters, I think, have moments of strength. And, yeah. Like, Except go- for Galadriel. 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 Well, you just, we, okay, Persia. I hate you Galadriel. Have a, you have a weird personal, like, beef with Galadriel. I just think... I literally remember being a kid and watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy and thinking that she was the secret bad guy. Like, I literally <laughs> thought that there was going to be, like, you thought she was cool and just like an elf queen, but it turns out she's fucking evil. Every time she smiles, I can tell that she's up to no good. And I don't know what the no good is, but there's something there. I feel like you're projecting, like, something <laughs> onto her that I don't know what it is, but she's powerful, and she's one of the bearers of the ring. And yeah. I feel like the Hobbit series gets into that story a little bit more than right. Lord of the Rings does. But like she, I think any of the bearers of the ring are a little bit like corrupted in a way because they're yielding like so much power. And maybe that's what's making you uneasy. But she's always been on the right side. Like, But that's, I don't know if she has been on the right side because I feel like what my feeling of her <sighs> is that she's like an observer. She's like, she feels above it. She's like, morality is a construct, you know. She, she never says that, though. <laughs> yeah, she says, she pours the water in the basin and she's like, morality is a construct, Frodo. She doesn't. You think you're doing the right thing, but really you're doing just the thing that's good for you. She literally never says this. That's so weird. She's what's, like, just to play devil's advocate. What's happening? <laughs> that's the vibe I get okay, from her. Okay, okay. Well, what do you think about the elves in general in the movie. I feel like they play a bigger role in the other two movies, but I they were my favorite race out of all of the I guess different races in this in in Middle right. Earth. And I don't I don't know why exactly, but I think yeah, there's something so ethereal and otherworldly about them um that I was always really drawn to. But same thing that I'm saying about Galit I can't say her name, Galadriel. No respect. Is that they're just a little cold. The only reason that Legolas is cool is because he's friends with Gimli. <laughs> like, they're, no one, none of them are having a good time. They're always just, like, sort of, like, breezing through with their... Like, I would say that, like, their outfits are the best part. Like, they have some cool braid hair techniques. They have some, like, nice <laughs> long sleeves, you know, trailing skirts. Right. But generally, and they, they always just seem like recalcitrant. They're like, okay, we'll come through for you. They, I, I guess. feel like they're just very, they're very invested in preserving their way of life. And that, that kind of comes first, you know, like they have, they had to, yeah. in, in this movie, for instance, it was Arwen who had to convince her father to remake this sword that had been used to, destroy Saruman or Sauron Sauron uh the first time around because yeah it, she like had to 
basically beg him to do it. Well, they keep on, they're very much like our time here has come. Like, it, here's the thing about the elves. It's nice that like at the end, all the ending battles, it's like the elves, one dwarf. I kept on asking like, where are the dwarves? Like yeah. there's like Gimli and like no one else really. But you see them at the beginning of the fellowship. They're, you know, they're yeah. there. Um, there's a couple of them there and then you like never see the dwarves again. Anyway, but at the end, it's like symbolistically, the elves are there, the hobbits are there, the dwarves are there, the men are there and they're sort of uniting. And I think maybe it makes more sense if you've read more of Tolkien, but there's this big undercurrent of like the time of magic and mysticism and this sort of way of life is over. You know, it's the age of men. They're always like, and the age of men now is upon us. And the elves are getting on boats to sail. (laughs) To their, like, forever land. Where? They they say where they're going. Like, there's a name to it? Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like an island. Where they, like, don't die? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Um... Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's, that's part of, like, the bittersweetness of this movie even though overall I would say this movie is like one of the most like satisfying conclusions to a story that one could have. Like I was just making note of it when I rewatched it that the movie itself, like the mission, which is for Frodo to destroy the ring ends at the three hour mark. But then there's another 30 minutes (laughs) of the movie devoted just to like closing off all of the storylines. Which I think is something that I actually really appreciate because you, if you think about it, like the series as a whole is like a a serious investment of one's time. And then to, to finally really get to see everything through at the end, I think is really special. You get to see Sam get married. You get to see Frodo finish his book. Um, you get to see Aragorn get crowned as king, you know? You, you get to see all of that. It is, like, having seen all three of them now, or rewatched all three of them now, it is sort of like a feat of filmmaking it's so rare for them to adapt a fantasy series into three successful movies i just feel like most adaptations of fantasy novels are awful essentially and this one not only is it like good it is iconic i mean Every five yeah. minutes of this movie, I'm thinking of, like, five different lines, you know, scenes, the King of Gondor eating his chicken, Gimli and Legolas, yeah. like, bantering. It just, like, it felt like every five minutes I could remember a scene that was seared into my brain and has, like, essentially entered our, like, lexicon of things yeah, that, yeah. as as a culture, we all, like, share. At least the nerds, anyway. Right, Exactly. But I don't know. I think when it, I think when the movies came out, it was pretty successful and popular. Yeah. And to take something that, like you said, is is kind of usually relegated to the kingdom of nerds, <laughs> and make it this like awesome spanning trilogy of films that you know is uh, emotional and looks good and and makes you invested. I think it's very very impressive. But it is also, like, the most, 
milk toast is that the right word it's the most male fantasy you know white male fantasy content you can possibly have it is and i that's that brings us to i guess another point which is like part of me watching this was like why why was i a black queer woman like so obsessed with this show that like clearly wasn't made for me in mind. There are no characters that look like me. Most storylines, I I guess I was able to find a connection and find resonance, but I feel like I had to put extra work in to do that. You know, there was something about the the story that just really gripped me. And so I became invested. But yeah, it is, it is really, there are some seriously problematic aspects to the film. I think one of the most obvious ones is just like the portrayal of evil in the film. Like on the one hand, one of the things that I really love about the film is the commentary on like good versus evil and how there's kind of like a bit of a gray area, like how even well-intentioned people can become corrupted and and kind of poisoned. And Smeagol, I think, is very, like, an enigmatic character sort of for that reason. Yeah. You know, the whole thing where Frodo pities him and he's helping them, but are his motivations right? And sort of like, you know, it's not his fault kind of thing. Like you said, people just get so corrupted by the power of the ring. Right, right, exactly. But I think, you know, one could say, for instance, if we're, gonna, if we're talking about Smeagol, that we always portray the, ba- the bad guys like we portray Smeagol. Like, we always make them into these deranged, mentally unstable characters. To bring up another example, when uh, the third movie starts to progress and you get into, like, the final battle sequence, or I guess it wasn't the final, but it was kind of the, it was the penultimate battle sequence, the biggest one over Minas Tirith, there are all of these, like, dark forces coming in from all over the world they're saying like the these like basically like pirates from the the seas in the east and these guys on the oliphants uh from like the south which is like basically they're saying from like the middle east and africa (laughs) they 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 made these characters evil they put them on the evil side and they very clearly put all of the white people on the good side. Yeah, it was a little it was a little bit of an eye an eyebrow scratcher as I was watching it as an adult. Yeah. Do you feel like you were thinking about any of that at all as a kid because I don't think I was. <laughs> no. I well, I do wonder if like I internalized any of that like subconsciously. But but I do think that maybe like that does speak to some aspect of the story being universal, like universally relatable. I really did just connect with the story, um, even as I say a black queer girl living at the time in Philadelphia. Like, I don't know, there was something about it that just spoke to me on so many levels and uh, and it, it continues to this day to be one of my favorite stories. Do you think, like, especially you were talking about how as, as a kid and specifically children can relate to the sort of narrative behind The Hobbits. Is there any stuff that you think has filtered through to this day, like the way 
the narrative is told or like justice or like the striving, you know, against a higher power that you feel like even now that felt resonant? Well, I think that I I think that I really was quite inspired by the women, as I was saying in the film. I think Eowyn really was like a huge role model to me. I absolutely was captivated by her story of getting turned down by Aragorn <laughs> and then deciding to go off to battle and killing the leader of the Nazgul. I am no man. I loved that. And I think it, it partially inspired a sense of like fire and defiance in me from a young age. It made me pr- like proud to be a woman and, or proud to be a girl and, you know, want to just like kick ass basically. And that still resonates because we still live in a patriarchy and uh, under a patriarchy and I still crave role models like that in media. Another thing too, actually, that was really starting to hit home for me was um, the theme of friendship in in the film. Something that I think has become extremely important in my adult life that I took for granted when I was a kid. Just the idea that you do you do this, you fight to live another day for your family and for your friends. And if you look back at the movie and you there are a lot of um hype up speeches, whatever yeah. people were going off to, <laughs> to like fight and 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 go off to war. Like there were like seven of them in Return of the King. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say my favorite one though is like he gives a little speech um, and then they just fucking chant death yes. over and over to each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that was... Uh... That's before the Rohirrim uh, yeah, yeah. like descend upon the like orc goblin crowd in front of Minas Tirith. Right, yeah. That was pretty morbid. Um, <laughs> but, but also, like, very powerful. Like, you think about it. Like, they really thought they were going to die. And they yeah. just, like, they were screaming death because it was facing them. Yeah, yeah. It's like they're saying death to the enemy and also death, like, almost like death is on it. Like, we're embracing death. It felt yeah. like death in many different ways. Yeah, yeah. The way that I interpreted it was, like, they were embracing death for themselves and they didn't care like I and because I always felt like the leader of Rohan he went into battle I think thinking that he was going to die and he did die but anyway there were a lot of these like speeches going on but throughout pretty much all of them friendship is referenced like we're doing this for our friends we're doing this for the fellowship and for our friends, even the people who weren't in the fellowship, like Eowyn, uh, she says when she has Mary on like horseback with her and they're riding off to battle, like, courage, Mary, we're doing this for our friends. And I loved that because, um, yeah, friendship has become extremely important to me in my life, um, especially like I feel like as a single person, as a single adult, like, you realize how your friendships are essentially your 
most important relationships and they make up the life that you live. And I think I would do a lot of things for my friend. I don't know if I would go off to battle for them, but I would, <laughs> I would definitely like, I would do a lot of things for them. So I loved that. And there's so many different like pairings, Pippin and Mary, great pairing, Sam and Frodo, obviously like most of the movie is about their relationship yeah. in one way or another. And Legolas and Gimli and also Aragorn in that mix. But like Le- the Legolas and Gimli fighting the elephants together and like keeping track of how many people they've killed. And then it culminating in Gimli saying, I never thought I'd die, you know, next to an elf. And Legolas about says, what about next to a friend? friend? I, I could do that. I, I could do that. One of the best lines. Yeah, so many good ones, but yes. Um, yeah, there are kind of like these these pairings of friendships. And in um, Return of the King, a lot of those friendships are really tested. Like obviously Frodo and Sam's relationship is very tested. In fact, at one point, Frodo tells Sam to just go home, (laughs) which is like so heartbreaking to watch. And then also Pippin and Mary's friendship is kind of tested because Pippin fucks up when he takes that orb out of the water and gets sent off to to Minas Tirith to be like a servant. But the friendships are tested, but they survive and are fully intact at the end, if not stronger. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's beautiful to see because it's it's like it's not a love story, you know? It's not it's not about like guy gets girl at the end. It's about friends making it through an apocalyptic war together and coming out the other side and being loyal and being yeah, like being loyal and being kind and being strong for each other. I love that. It's so wholesome. It's so wholesome. Oof. There's nothing like it. (laughs) There's nothing like it. Yeah, I feel like three, maybe it's only twice, but after, um, in the Fellowship of the Ring, after Frodo gets stabbed by the Witch King or one of the Nazgul, I think it might have been the Witch King, and, you know, they finally, they all reunite in uh, Rivendale with the elves. and. And he's, like, sitting in that big white soft bed and they use that, like, blurry thing where he's, like, recuperating and all the hobbits run in and they're like, Frodo! And they do almost that exact same thing in Return of the King. And every time they do it, I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, they look so nice. They're happy. They're healthy. I love to see them prosper. (laughs) You're right. I I totally forgot that they had already done that. (laughs) They do it again in Return of the King. Yeah, it's like this dreamlike state. It's like paradise where they're all together and they're all wearing white and they're all happy and laughing. Yeah. There's a lot of, I feel like, greater... I'm I'm not like a... I'm sure there are to- people who study Tolkien and, and all this imagery and symbolism, all this stuff. I haven't really looked that much into it. But it does seem to me that there is a lot of like heaven and hell, even though there's not really any religion at all mentioned in the movies there just seems to be a lot of like the christian the western sort of understanding of heaven and hell especially the elves you know sort of like going unto their eternal peaceful land 
And obviously Mordor with the like lava and stuff, essentially, even the scenes of Smeagol or Gollum being tortured, mm-hmm. you know, by the orcs and the, the orcs and the goblins are kind of like little devils. Yeah. It just seems very, it's like almost the most... I don't know. In some ways, it's like the Odyssey. It seems like one of the most basic forms of storytelling that we have, where, you know, at the end, Frodo, he saves Middle Earth and gets to go to heaven in some ways is like sort of how it seems like it could be read. And I guess they destroy hell like a Sauron the devil. I'm not sure, but I'm working on it. Yeah, they kind of destroy it. Yeah. Well, and it's, I'm glad that you mentioned that, um, that theme because I once did think that maybe the portrayal of good and evil was like too simple. But I I think that that's not true. I think that that's maybe part of why I was so drawn to the story when I was a kid, because on its surface, it's a really easy to digest plot line, like, you know what who the good guys are and you know who the bad guys are. But kind of as we were saying before about like the poisoning of Frodo's mind and... And generally the fall- fallibility of men, you know, Boromir yeah. and the steward of Gondor and just pe- people being corrupted by power, I think is also a huge thread. Yeah, and that's happening throughout the story. And, and you kind of see people like teetering towards the edge of darkness and then coming back again and... And I think that that's actually pretty complex and um, is a good is a is kind of a good lesson maybe to at least ponder when you're a kid, like to understand that the world isn't just so black and white that that there are temptations, that there are dangers and pitfalls, and this is how you maybe avoid them. Yeah, but like you were saying, you know, there's obvious you know failings in in the good camp, shall we say. The villain of the story almost is power and a lot of the conflict essentially comes from the infighting of the good team, if that makes sense. Like the villains are all sort of like either comical, like a lot of the goblins and the orcs are a little comical to BH. A lot of them seem like they're doing little routines with their like... Every scene I feel like between an orc or a goblin or whatever are them like bickering about like wanting to eat humans or hobbits or you know not liking each other or yeah it's a little lighthearted in some senses. Yeah, maybe maybe a criticism is actually that the darkness is not given the complexity that it's due um and that the lightness is um and so that there's kind of like this this flatness to the evil. I think you were actually, you were mentioning at one point that um, you wish that you had seen more of the infighting between goblins and orcs, because it's clear that that exists in some capacity. I'm very interested in what's happening with the Urukai and the orcs and the goblins. It just seems like there's a whole sort of hierarchy or, (laughs) you know, almost like a xenophobia, like the goblins are like, you came out of the ground, but like we live in like packs and the tunnels or something. I just, I haven't. I don't know that much about it, but they leave little nuggets. They leave little 
little treats throughout the movies of being like the goblins and the orcs and the urukai like are different and they come from different places and they don't always work together well. One of the goblins says like I don't take orders from you know urukai scum or something. I'm like oh what could it mean? Yeah, you know I think that's the sequel. I ex- instead of the Hobbit's trilogy which was trash, um, <laughs> I think we could get like a fun Rosencrantz and Guildenstern orc goblin situation I, I can see it well or or it just leaves a lot of room for fanfic which i'm sure has happened yes oh. somewhere on the internet oh man <laughs> there there the, that's the other beautiful part though about this world that tolkien has created is like it's so vast and like there's so many parties and components to it and you could write a million stories about middle earth in this world like because because he's he's created it so vividly and in such detail. Um, and I think that that also inspired my kind of imagination as a kid, the idea that there could just be this entirely different world out there with, with all these creatures and beings and forces of good and evil. It was just at the time, unlike anything that I had ever experienced before. I think it was also like another thing that I'm realizing is that I was not a Harry Potter kid growing up, really. I was a Lord of the Rings kid, and I had watched the movies, I think probably right before Harry Potter came out. And I eventually watched the uh, watched the Harry Potter movies and read the books like as an adult, but it wasn't a part of my childhood. And I feel like most kids become attached to like some sort of fantasy sci-fi story, and this was it for me. Yeah, I think it held up wonderfully. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay, so some of the CGI's effects are, you know, questionable, but even at the time, like, when, when this movie was made, those were state-of-the-art. State like, no one had ever seen anything like that before. And, like, I feel like, you know, they're, they're obviously not great, but they're, I think they're, like, still at the level of, like, a low-budget, like, television show. I mean, yeah. they're they're... They're still acceptable at this point. Um, I think, and even a lot of now thinking back, like, about all the new techniques they had to think of to make Gandalf and the other guys seem tall compared to the hobbits, who are, you know, all these people are different heights. And Gimli, even that guy is huge, the actor. All that stuff, I think, plays really well. Like, it's very seamless to sort of think about that the hobbits are small and the, you know, the men and, and Gandalf are bigger. But even some of the CGI, I think Shelob still looked great. Yeah. Well, I was also thinking about um, the scene with Frodo and Shelob because I remembered watching it and thinking, like, this is such a great... Like, they they um, orchestrated it really, really well. Like, the there was... I, I loved the camera angles. Like, because you basically... They really... They made the ca- camera angles really feel like you were Frodo and like you were trying to like figure out what this creature was that was following you this giant spider I don't know it's hard for me to describe but anyone who is thinking about watching Lord of the Rings after hearing this should just go back and watch that scene because it's really well done yeah and it's really scary I remembered I remembered thinking I mean I was I remembered being really scared when I watched it as a kid and it's still kind of scary anyway I don't know if I have anything else to say about this film. <laughs> All right. I, yeah, I think I'm good, too. I mean, I, had a th- I, I wrote a few things, like beautiful quotes, like 
there's one there's one moment where Sam says to Frodo, don't go where I can't follow. Meaning like, don't die on me when he finds Frodo like poised, like stung by Shelob and thinks that he's been killed. Another, I mean, Gandalf has at least a couple of quotes per movie that are just like beautiful, beautiful prose. But he says, he says, I think this is to, um, to Pippin, um, as Minas Tirith is getting invaded by the orcs and like, it, it really looks like, you know, it looks like they're gonna like all die. Um, he says to, to Pippin, um, courage is the best defense that you have now. I loved that too. (laughs) My favorite Gandalf from Gandalf quote from the return of the king is run shadow facts. Show us the meaning of haste. That, that's facts. also a really good one. Oh, Shadowfax, <laughs> the god of all, god of all horses. Yeah, uh, Gandalf is real like magical girling in all three movies. You know, he's got a transformation. He's got a sword. He du- dual wields. He's got a sword and a staff. He's got a magic horse. <laughs> yeah. Well, he is a wizard. Like you know, like of course he has all the magic. <laughs> like, if any, if anyone should have magic, magic it should be him. I guess. <laughs> it's true. He Well, he has a lot of flair about him, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. I'm glad you had a nice time rewatching it. I did. It, it was so worth it. And um, yeah, I feel like now I'm going to finish the rest of the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck. Good watching. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, talk to you later. <laughs> One quick note, I just wanted to say thank you so much for everyone who's listening. That includes friends and family, my dad. The podcast is up and running, and I'm super happy that I'm able to put it out. I am a podcast producer as my full-time job, and this is totally a passion project that I'm making solo, of course, with the help of my friends. If you guys want to hear more from me, or when new episodes are coming out, I made a Twitter for the show. It's at 11 again podcast. The 11 is numbers, so 11againpodcast. And you can follow the show there and get in touch with me if you need to. Thank you.